For the Colin. Let's turn our Bibles this afternoon to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. As the, the song may have indicated, I want to consider today the subject of prayer and more specifically the subject of effectual prayer. The Lord laid this on my heart uh, five years ago uh, when I stumbled across the sermon series of effectual prayer and it meant a lot to me then. And now considering the new year and how I want to improve, I was taken back to the, uh, to the sermons and how I can improve my prayer life. So James chapter 5, let's, I'm going to read uh, verses 16 through 18. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So we have the phrase here, effectual prayer. And that's what we're going to, get, going to consider now. The, uh, the example used here is Elias, Elijah here, who prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it didn't rain. So it's an example here of effectual prayer, and the Bible's full of such examples. We're going to look at a few. But uh, I want us to consider first, is this subject important? Yeah. It is very important. We have a problem, though, and uh, that's that our flesh does not really like to pray. Right. Our, our spirit does, but our flesh does not. Prayer is intimate fellowship with God, and our flesh is opposed to that intimate relationship with Him. Right. Consider that even not only our flesh, but sometimes even our own religious backgrounds can make us a little... A verse is subject of, of prayer, whether you grew up as, uh, as I did, maybe a, a dry Baptist who had many prayers, but they bore little fruit. Maybe, maybe even uh, an educated Presbyterian who could pray very, very well, or a pagan Catholic who prays all the times. Okay, so maybe our religious backgrounds keep us from really grasping the importance of prayer, and we don't really, we don't really care to, to uh, delve into the details too much. Sometimes our religious background causes us to lose sight of some of the beauty and luster of the glorious privilege of praying to the Lord God of heaven and the glorious privilege and the beauty of praising him through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking words of praise to a very real God who really loves to hear it and who really deserves it. Amen. So we want to improve in this. I want to improve it, and I want to get over any of my mental blocks from past religious experiences, or even the flesh, and I want to improve in this area, just as with any other aspect of life. We can improve, and we should improve even in prayer. The disciples were taught, were taught, were taught to pray by the Lord Jesus Christ. In uh, Luke 11, we have this, and it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, and he goes on and gives them that beautiful template that we have for prayer. The disciples wanted to learn how to pray. So the Lord gave them his own words, in his own words, a template for how to pray. We have the Holy Scriptures written down for us as our template for prayer. So we have all the resources we need, just as the disciples then did then. 
So we have the reminder today. Let us enhance our fellowship and communication channel with the Lord God of heaven and reach higher ground in our fellowship with him by more effectual prayer. Here's a couple of verses just to get us started on the importance and the privilege of praying. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. That's exciting. We can ask, and we, we can receive and be given. One of my favorites is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And then consider David, the man after God's own heart, who loved the Lord because the Lord heard his prayers. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. So it's a privilege to pray. The Lord hears and should cause us great delight. So, for now, I want us to consider the five components of effectual prayer and then five guidelines. I, don't, I want this to be simple. I don't want it to be overly complicated. I want us to be able to, to complete the, the practice of prayer by considering five components and five guidelines. It's not exhaustive, but it's just a reminder of things we already know and perhaps need to be reminded of, things we can forget. So the five components, number one, Praise God. So this is how we're going to pray. This is, this is kind of the, the flow of prayer, how we want to, to build our prayer. We start by praising God. Amen. Prayer should include efforts to ascribe greatness to our God and his works. So when we begin praying, we want to magnify the Lord God of heaven. We want to lift him high and ascribe greatness to him. Kind of like this, Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. That's how we should begin our prayer, by ascribing greatness to our God, lifting him him, him high where he should be. And then secondly, we can confess our sins. So all prayers should include a, a complete confession of our sins, and even specific sins. Kind of like this, Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever ever before me. So let us confess our sins and be full and complete about it. So we, we start off by praising him, then we confess our sins, and then let's move on to thanking God. It's not time to petition yet. We have to have the right order of events here so that he will hear us and be pleased to answer our, our petitions. So third, we thank God. Every prayer should include thanksgiving for all God has done already and all the prayers he's answered. Yeah. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So let's thank him. We started off by praising him. We confessed our sins. We thanked him. Now, now number four, well, let's petition him. Up to this point, God has been lifted up and magnified. He's pleased with that. We've confessed our sins, humbled ourselves before him. He's pleased with that. And we thanked him, and he's pleased with that. Now, why wouldn't he hear us and answer our prayers? So number four, let's petition him. All the things that we need and desire. All the things that you all need and desire. We pray for these things. First John five fourteen and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired 
of him. So we petition him. We trust him fully. We lay these things before him, all the things that we need and desire. And the fifth component of effectual prayer, as, as we see it in Scripture, is acknowledging Christ. We, we do this with just about every prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But we want it to be a little more real than that. We want to really consider what we're doing. We're invoking the name of the Son of God amen. in our prayer. In uh, Romans 16, Paul does it like this, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. That's how we can finish up our prayers. John 16, 23 and 24 brings it home for us. This is Jesus himself. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Yeah. All the petitions that we lay before the Lord, let's lay them before him through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, invoking the greatest name that has ever uh, ever been uttered, and, and right. the, the glory of Jesus Christ and our trust in him. So that's, that's the five components of effectual prayer. We want to improve in prayer. This is how we can do it, one of the ways we can do it. We start off by praising God, then we confess our sins, then we thank Him, then we petition Him, and we wrap it all up by acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the five components of effectual prayer. And now I want us to consider five guidelines. Five, five guidelines for effectual prayer. This is how we can improve our prayer life this is year. this year. Number one, pray faithfully. Pray faithfully. We need to be fully persuaded in our minds and hearts that God is able to answer our prayers. We need to be fully persuaded. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Pray faithfully. Are you fully persuaded that he can answer your prayers and that he will answer your prayers? We should be. The second gu- guideline, pray persistently. First Thessalonians 5.17, and three words sums it up. Pray without ceasing. We need to be patient and diligent to continue in prayer always. We're not mouthing words all day long, but rather we're communing with the Lord God of heaven all day long. We're being importunate to remind him of these things that we need and we desire. So pray persistently. Thirdly, pray intelligently. Pray intelligently. What does that mean? Well, that means that we need to know who God is, what he's done, what he's promised us, so that we can reason with him based upon his character and his attributes and what he's done. We want to be able to reason with God, so we need to be intelligent about how we pray. Know him, his nature, his traits, and his promises, so that we can reason with him. Pray intelligently. Number four, pray submissively. This is not contradictory to praying faithfully, where you're fully persuaded in your mind that God can answer your prayers, but rather submitting yourself to the will of God that no matter what I want or what I desire, His will be done. James 4.15, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We need to pray according to God's will. Be submissive to whatever He brings our way, no matter how He answers. And number five, we need to pray actively. I need to pray actively. What does that mean? It means to be ready and willing to do all that we can for ourselves. We don't just, there is a time and a place for praying, laying our petition before God, and then sitting back and watching Him work. Some things are totally out of our control. 
but many things we can we can do ourselves even with a prayer like this. The uh, the example I have is David. David, and uh, he sent Hushai to Absalom to give bad advice. Well, why did he do that? He did that because of this. Uh, one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David prayed that the Lord would turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. But he didn't stop there. He sent Hushai to give bad counsel to overthrow the counsel of Ahithophel. And the Lord answered his prayer by David sending Hushai. And we, so we want to pray actively as well. Be ready and willing to do all that we can for ourselves. So that's five guidelines. Praying faithfully, praying persistently, praying intelligently, submissively, and then actively. To wrap this up, I want us to consider a few more examples of effectual prayer. This should provoke us to the improvement of our own praying. You know, I can get up here and speak these words, and it may be hard to follow, but the words of God should give us enough uh, motivation to, to improve in our praying because the, uh, the, uh, the Lord God of heaven has given us this medium of communication with him that we can have power with him, kind of like these people right here. We'll start with Joshua. When fighting the Ammonites, Joshua prayed that the sun and moon would stop so that the children of Israel could completely overrun the Ammonites. And it reads like this in Joshua 10. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. That's effectual praying. How about Hezekiah? Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he, Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And then the Lord answered him by giving him an additional 15 years and a sign that this would happen. In verse 11, Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. So the Lord turned it back 10 degrees as a confirmation that he would fulfill his promise. That's an effectual praying. 15 extra years of life. And then Peter. Peter, when he was delivered from prison, it was because there was a church prayer meeting for him. Something to to remember when we have church prayer meetings here, that the Lord answers those prayers. And he did here for Peter in Acts 12. This is Peter's kept in prison. He's in chains. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. And then the angel comes, lets Peter loose, and Peter goes to the home where the prayer meeting was. They didn't believe it was him. But when he finally got in, Peter said, beckoning unto them with, the hand, with his hand to hold their peace, he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And so the Lord answered the prayer meeting of a church in the New Testament for the release of Peter. So it's a great subject, effectual praying. And there's just three examples for us to remember. As we, as we go about this year, if we want to improve in our lives, in our spiritual lives, in our fellowship with Lord God, let's improve our prayer. 
but we can do it by the five guidelines and the five components of effectual praying. And I'm just going to run over them one more time so that we can perhaps grasp one or two that we can most uh, we can improve in the most. The five components of effectual praying. Number one, praise God. Number two, confess your sins. Number three, thank him. Then petition him, number four. And number five, acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the five components. And then the five guidelines. How we ought to pray. Pray faithfully. Be fully persuaded. Pray persistently without ceasing. Pray intelligently knowing God and his promises. Pray submissively ready for whatever the Lord brings your way in answer to your prayer, and then pray actively doing all that you can for yourself. We have a great reason for considering this study and learning how to pray more effectively. And it's this, greater power with God on the behalf of ourselves, our families, our church, our nation, etc. This is how the Lord has ordained that we communicate with him and we can have power with him through it. We can enjoy greater fellowship with Christ and the Father by improving how we pray. So let us increase in the effectual prayer in the days to come. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Outstanding. Well done, sir. Thank you. Amen. That was very useful. Thank Amen. you. There, please. Good afternoon. We have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Let us love our God supremely. Let, each, let us love each other, too. Amen. We've been taught two great commandments, to love God and love others. Right. We've met here in this church, the local church, the fellowship. Let us love our God supremely. That is the greatest delight, greatest joy we'll ever find. We've been given practical suggestions how to do that. We see in the second stanza of the fourth verse, let us love and pray for mourners as we are just challenged and encouraged to pray. Let us pray that holy manna. There's a spiritual food we can get in the word of God, in fellowship, in the song service, in the service of the word, in the service of prayer, in service of fellowship in between the two services. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today is the church, the fellowship, just two aspects of it. Our pastor has done a wonderful, marvelous job to prepare our hearts for the building of God's church when he's long gone and we're still here. If the Lord tarries, he's given us all the tools that we need to love our God supremely and love each other too. Amen. We have the website where we have a wealth of his work, our pastor's work, based on the word of God, his labors in teaching the word of God, is preserved there. Do we take advantage of it? Do we utilize it? I can do better. I've got a couple outlines that I need to learn meditate on and use does everyone have access to the tools if not can we share them if there's someone among us that needs help in this area can we help them i can do better in that 
Last Sunday, Pastor challenged us, do great things for God. 2019. Challenge is something hard. It's not easy that we were able to do last year. You've mastered it or you've done it once. Pick something else. The sermon the week before concluded the study of the Gospel of John. John chapter 21 ended. Peter was challenged. Loaves and fishes were, uh, excuse me, a chicken sandwich, a fish fillet the Lord provided for Peter. But he then told him to go feed my flock. We are blessed with a pastor that feeds us. Today, in the few minutes I have, I would like to think of the Church of God as a fellowship of the Son. It is the Lord Jesus Christ we have met here to worship, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In eternity past, it was the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, we got the Son to redeem us who were under the law. I would like you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. Read the first 10 verses of a church that Paul spent much time with. He had 18 months to prepare them, turned them loose, and then they fell away from certain things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf, for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul had a great challenge before him, so he starts out in these verses encouraging them that they were chosen by God. They were called by God. They were gifted spiritually by God for something. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. They were legitimate, born-again, chosen child of God, children of God. And he mentions waiting for the coming of the Lord. They were gathering as a church at Corinth in the fellowship of the Son, and Paul wanted them to be blameless in the coming day of our Lord. We have a pastor that challenges us so that when the Lord comes back, 
he's going to have that spotless, blameless bride of Christ that he desires and he deserves. We see Paul starting to turn the corner here in verse 10, getting ready to start out with some of the doctrinal issues and divisions that they had at Corinth. And he urged them, he besought them by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was the authority and reason they should listen up. They were saints. This isn't the world. The word of God and the church are for saints, for us. He says they were called unto the fellowship of his son. God chose it. He ordained it. He gave us the instruction manual that we are blessed with. And we learn that this fellowship is of the Son. In our study of John, we saw that the Father loves the Son. He gave everything into the care of the Son. The Son's the head of the church. It's the foundation. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 gives two items of the church that they were not doing very well. So he brings them out. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. There were two things there. The faith, charity, brotherly love. As we studied the Gospel of John, we considered and compared the other Gospel writers their accounts, their story, how they viewed the life of Jesus. It's called the harmony of the Gospels. It excites me as I read the New Testament epistles to see the harmony of the Gospel write, or the writers in the epistles. There is a theme going through the New Testament. The fellowship of the Son is referred to them differently. Sometimes it's called the Church of God. Sometimes it's the body of Christ. Sometimes it's the house of God, the family of God, the flock of God, the temple of God, and the kingdom of God. Today, because of 1 Corinthians 1.9, I'll just think of it as a fellowship. But it is the church. It's the body. It's the family. But it's a fellowship of his son. In Revelation 3.20, we see the Lord knocking on the door. He wants to come in to sup with anyone who will. The offer's there. That's fellowship. It's a personal relationship for a church that they could have and that we could have. There were going to be two challenges that I see as a central theme among the writers, which they often write in, is the maintaining the purity of doctrine, the faith in the church, and maintaining brotherly love as the church would go on. Please look at Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. Three verses here. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the body, building, all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, 
in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. In verse 20, this fellowship is built upon the mighty work that the apostles and prophets began as they were commissioned by the Lord. It is the whole church in verse 21 in whom all the building, the general assembly, is growing together. In verse 22, it is us, the local church fellowship, build it together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is going to empower this church as it empowers individuals, right. one at a time. It's a local church with local saints, sanctified ones. Ephesians 4, Paul, in verse 15, said... Speaking, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In verse 15, it's the truth, speaking the truth in love. In verse 16, it's body parts being joined together, and that is growing because every part has a job responsibility, a different gift, something they can do. Pastor called it a challenge and gave us 42 or more points that we could work on individually in the coming year. James seems to be, oh, excuse me, I don't want to go there yet. In Hebrews, let's stick with Paul. Paul had a whole bunch of these thoughts about the church, the fellowship, the faith, brotherly love. Hebrews ten twenty three and 24, he said it like this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is faithful promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. On our church website, you can find the profession of our faith. It's entitled Articles of Faith, in which you will find a declaration of those doctrines which we most surely believe. Pray you'll review them periodically so we all know them and we can share them with each other and our families the Bible emphasizes them, so we should hold them dear. Jude, Jude chapter 1, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, and called. Mercy unto you, and peace, and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude saw a need. He was writing saints, sanctified, preserved, and called. Every one of the writers recognized it was God's choice, God's ordination, God's appointment to work in the hearts of people. It starts with God making the choice. He wanted mercy, excuse me, and peace 
and love to be multiplied. He tells us in the next verse that he could see they were going to earnestly need to contend for the faith. So there's something that's got to be cared for. Love being multiplied in verse 2, and the faith which was once delivered the saints. Let's look at James to see what James' thoughts would be on these two aspects of the fellowship of the church. James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. See, in verse 8, it's the scripture. It's the word of God that they were to fulfill. Thou shalt love, which will then cause you, me, to love thy neighbor as thyself. James seems to be in perfect agreement with Paul and Jude. So let's now turn to Peter to see what Peter has to say about the fellowship and keeping the doctrines and the brethren brotherly love. 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. I'm thankful that the theme for the youth group was a pure heart. They had chosen their theme well before I thought of this, but it fits into that, is the purifying of your souls and the purifying of my heart needs to be done and will happen in the obeying of the truth in verse 22 here. Peter was a great example of God's forgiveness and restoration. In verses 2 and Two through five up above, he gave the doctrine of election and our five phases of salvation. You can go back and see that he had already given that. And so he just now down down here sticks on the truth and brotherly love. In chapter five of the same epistle, first Peter five, in verse two, he said, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Do you remember in John 21 where the Lord told Peter, Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Here, Peter is passing that on, that he wants the elders that he's writing to to feed the flock of God which is among you. Verse 9, he goes on to how they were going to defeat the adversary. 
So there are problems that we're going to come into church. I think we heard about an enemy within us, in our own hearts. Because the churches are made up of saints, the enemy within comes here, can affect every one of you in a negative way if we're not careful. It's something that is going to be a challenge to keep the purity of the fellowship with brotherly love and doctrine. Verse 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And then he goes on. But that is an important theme that we're resisting the devil in the faith. And we are now going to focus on verse 13, the church that is Babylon. Elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Verse 14, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. That's brotherly love. Peace be with you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Peace and unity will be a result of it. Let's turn to the Apostle John. We've got Paul, Jude, Peter. Let's see what John has to say. 1 John 1, verses 3 through 7. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Peter mentions... Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where it starts with. He then goes on to say, if we say we have fellowship with God, but do not the truth, we're in darkness. But the fellowship can be cleansed and purified as we walk in the light, verse 7 told us. Let's flip over to the second chapter of John here in verse 9 through 11. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Mm -hmm. Our pastors often warned us about the blindness that we can have, where we won't know the truth, we won't see the truth, and we won't even know that we're deceived, and we will stumble. One of the first things he says about maintaining a stable walk and not heading down that slippery path is doctrinal purity. Love of God 
love of the brethren. In 1 John 3.10, we uh, see, in this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whoso doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is a message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Brothers and sisters, much more has already said, been said by our pastor who has said it much more effectively. I would encourage you to periodically review our doctrines, review brotherly love, the definition of the love of God. Do we know it? The supreme desire to know God, to exalt God, to worship Him. So it starts with a supreme desire, delighting in God, I believe a brother has shared often. It's a great challenge. We can make our calling and election sure. We can have a work of faith, a labor of love, a patience of hope, as we help each other prepare for the coming of our Lord. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let us provoke one another to love and good works. The devil is trying to take us down. Let us resist him steadfastly in the faith. I would highly recommend the sermon, Love is the Greatest. There are 16 points in there, and I think number 10 was it was the greatest challenge. Our pastor challenged us last Sunday to do great things. I would also highly recommend the document, One Another. It goes through a whole bunch of verses that tell us what the one another responsibilities are in the church. May we continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. May we have lives that match His, for He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. May we adorn all the doctrines of godliness and brotherly love in the fellowship of His Son. Amen. Amen. Good. Thank you, brothers. Thank you very much for preparing those thoughts and researching it and putting together verses and uh, leading us in the consideration of those thoughts. Uh, Now it's up to us, as Nathan reminds us often. Um, the word's been sown, so now we need to go forth and, uh, and bear fruit and not let those challenges fall to the wayside as if we hadn't even heard them. Uh, let's do something with it. Right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you, O Lord, for these four petitions. First, we ask that you would help us to love you supremely and creatively with our whole hearts and minds and soul and strength. Father, we pray that you would allow us and charge us and, uh, and enable us to keep our hearts with all diligence 
for out of it are the issues of life. Father, I ask that you would empower us to step forward in faith and to focus on our effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man to avail much in our life. Father, I pray that you would enable us to love and serve one another as you were the supreme example even coming to us to love and serve us of all creatures. Help us to reflect and share that love to those around us. Our trust is in you. Thank you for this time. Go forward as we part now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Dismissed. Thank you.